Hi, everyone. I'm Janine, and this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. You're listening to Get the Funk Out. On today's show, I'm chatting with Daniel Stone, a staff writer for National Geographic and a former White House correspondent for Newsweek and The Daily Beast. In his latest book, The Food Explorer, Stone takes readers on this exciting culinary journey from Java to Baghdad, Corsica and Bavaria, and many stops in between. Fairchild introduced many of the crops that are part of our daily lives, including foods we enjoy and associate with the American diet, including avocados, kale, the Meyer lemon, Egyptian cotton, and mangoes. It's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show author Daniel Stone. Welcome, Daniel. Thanks for having me. So intrigued by your book, The Food Explorer. What led you to do this this book? I uh, grew up working on farms. I've always been interested in agriculture, and I found the story of a man named David Fairchild who made farming and exploration his job. He was a man from Kansas who really loved plants and loved to travel. And about 100 years ago, he became an agent of the U.S. government uh, to travel all over the world in search of exotic plants, crops, and foods uh, that could be introduced to America. Wow. Sounds like a dream job. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say it was easy. No. He certainly had some struggles, uh, but, but he had remarkable success, especially when you think of his list of crops like avocados and mangoes and kale and nectarines, things that didn't really exist here in a big way, he introduced to farmers uh, who were eager to grow them. So he's responsible for bringing over many of the things that we think are just grown here. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, when you think about what's native to North America, very few of our foods in our supermarkets grew here uh, far enough back. Uh, Our food uh, is immigrants, just like we are. The apples and apple pie come from Kazakhstan, and the oranges, uh, Florida oranges, California Mm -hmm. oranges, uh, are from China. Uh, Bananas are from New Guinea. So, yeah, very few foods are actually native uh, to to the U.S. That's so interesting because, I mean, a lot of people just think these things just started here. No, they didn't. They were were brought here far enough back. Um, And even so, about 150 years ago, there were still so few foods here that food was very bland. It was very blank. Agriculture mm-hmm. was almost like a bare canvas. A lot of people just growing corn and cotton, potatoes, uh, and some berries. Uh, it really fell to the work of the government, but really through David Fairchild, who was a government spy. He was sent around the world to find plants of economic value that could be brought back and introduced uh, to create rival industries uh, in America. That is so interesting. So when you were doing this book, I put this info on my show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org, by the way. I know, I always get a giggle for the name of my show. Um, this, when you were writing this book, was this taken from actual journals and letters from Fairchild? It was. I, uh, I found his family. He still has uh, grandchildren uh, who are living, and they have his journals. They had his letters. I found his botanical memos. I even found his love letters that he wrote to his uh, his wife, who was the daughter of Alexander Graham Bell. Uh, they got married in 1903 and wrote love letters back and forth. All of it's in the book, and I, I went through all of it to paint a portrait of this man who lived a remarkable life and whose, whose work continues to touch all of our lives uh, still today. Was it hard to get access to these different things to write this? 
The material, not not really. It's hard to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, but these aren't, you know, this is the work of a government scientist, a botanist, okay. um, who hasn't really had much interest in his life over the, you know, since he died in the 1950s. So finding the material is always the work of, the hard work of narrative nonfiction and biography. But, you know, once you start looking, it starts to snowball, and eventually you have way more material than, than I could possibly use. I love the pictures in the book. You have all these different um, illustrations of avocados and figs and lemons, and they're beautiful. Yeah, those are great. And, and that's really credit to the government. In 1910, the U.S. government started to commission watercolor portraits of all the new crops coming into the U.S., many of them from David Fairchild. And from that, we have still existing today these beautiful vintage watercolor portraits of of lemons and peaches and mangoes and pineapples and watermelons uh, from the first glimpse people had of them in the U.S. a century ago. I feel like when I look at what you do, you're a writer for National Geographic. Uh, I feel like this is this book was like a perfect fit for you. <laughs> it certainly involved a lot of themes that I've been curious about and writing about for a long time. And you know, when you write a biography, you spend a lot of time with this person that, you know, you never really get to meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were parts of, that I saw, parts of myself in, in Fairchild's story, someone who loves food and farming, someone who's interested in, in uh, American policy and how to grow the economy, mm-hmm. and an exploration of going all over the world and traveling and finding new things and meeting new people and outrunning danger sometimes. Uh, I try to get all of that uh, to tell this this story in the book. I love it. How did you become a writer for National Geographic, by the way? I used to cover politics for Newsweek, and mm-hmm. I covered the White House and Congress. I decided I wanted to write more about science and issues like you know climate change or endangered species. So I went back to grad school for uh, environmental science and uh, knocked on the door of National Geographic for over a year until they finally let me in from the cold. And uh, yeah, I've, uh, I, I've now circled the world a few times um, on assignment for National Geographic and to tell stories very similar to Fairchild of, you know, culture and, and creativity all over the world. Were there some surprises for you in, in uh, doing this book? There were a lot, yeah. I mean, when you think about America becoming a superpower, what it took for America to grow itself economically and grow its military. You know, the U.S. was very much in the game of colonization, of taking in colonies, of exploiting lands around the world. The Philippines was a U.S. colony for more than 50 years. Um, Same with uh, Puerto Rico. The U.S. helped liberate Cuba. Mm -hmm. And really seeing how America operated, you know, with, with presidents like Teddy Roosevelt to really funnel this energy for a new country, a new enthusiasm for a new era. A lot of it was through food, but, you know, America had to fight a lot of big battles and a lot of small battles around the world to really cement itself uh, as a superpower. I want to ask you also, um, I'm glimpsing through the book as we're speaking, some of these uh, photographs are incredible. You have a picture of 1901, Fairchild found fertilizer abundant everywhere he went in China, near Canton, Earthen pots full of dung made an orchard of starfruit trees smell to heaven, he wrote. <laughs> <laughs> these must have been such great discoveries, all these different photographs and uh, putting all the pieces together. Yeah, finding, finding the pieces of his work, which fortunately he kept 
and a century's worth of librarians and archivists kept these also. Uh, the photos are all kept at the Fairchild Tropical Botanic Garden in uh, Miami, okay. and I made many trips down there. And yeah, coming across an amazing photo is like finding gold. You know, I found letters between him and Teddy Roosevelt, him and Dwight Eisenhower, uh, him and uh, George Washington Carver. So, you know, piecing together David Fairchild's life was in some ways like solving a mystery, but also, you know, revealing kind of the, the tentacles of his legacy and how they've still been able to endure today. What are some maybe just last-minute things you would like to share with the listeners for takeaways for the book? Yeah, the process of introducing a food, it's, I'm making it sound very easy. It's very difficult uh, to get a new seed, to introduce it, to have it be inspected, make sure it's not bringing in a disease, to have it be distributed to farmers and then grown and then distributed to markets and eaten. That could take 10 years, 10 mm. years or more. And there are some foods that made it and a lot more that didn't. And if you've ever tried a mangosteen or heard of a mangosteen, uh, it's not related to a mango at all. But that was one of Fairchild's failures, uh, a small purple fruit from Indonesia that just couldn't ship long distances, and it bruised too easily. So he never got it to, to take hold. You know, I'm thinking back to a recent trip I took to Hawaii, and as you're leaving, they say you cannot take anything out of Hawaii. Is that because yeah. they're worried about, um, you know, different insects and things like that? Yeah, that, uh, you know, in Fairchild's era, this wasn't really regulated very much. You could bring in plants and take them away. But around 1910, people started to worry about what was coming in. If there were insects or pests or f uh, types of fungus right. that could wreak havoc. So Congress passed a quarantine law that all plants had to be inspected and that's why when you get on a plane, you have to fill out that form that says, I haven't uh, been on a farm and I haven't been in touch with livestock. That was in direct response to the era of Fairchild's work uh, where this happened without any, uh, any regulation. Where can people find out more about this book? The book is available wherever books are sold starting today um, or on my website at danielstonebooks.com. And congratulations, by the way. Thank you, Janine. I appreciate it. It's such an exciting endeavor. I think it's great. Do you have other uh, ideas for books in the works? I'm working on a few. It's tough to find a good story that, that has you know a compelling narrative, mm -hmm. but I'm looking, uh, and I, I intend to do it again. Well, I just want to tell you, I grew up with National Geographic in my house because my dad was a huge fan, and we still haven't gotten rid of some of his collections. So oh, wow. I think it's a fantastic magazine. Absolutely. So. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, we hear, I hear that often, and it's truly amazing to work somewhere that has such a long tale of generational legacy. It's, that's, that's really amazing. It really, it really is. So congratulations. Are you on Facebook or Twitter? I am, yeah. Facebook, Daniel Stone, and Twitter at uh, Dan on Root. Perfect. Thank you so much for calling in. I really enjoyed this book, The Food Explorer, The True Adventures of the Globetrotting Botanist to Transform What America Eats. Thanks again. Thanks, Janine. If you want to find out about being a guest, you can send me an email to Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E, -E at org. Everything is up on my show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And I am on Twitter at moms underscore rock.